Hey, moms and dads. This episode is kid-friendly. This episode is kid-friendly. For creatures like me. Who are you <laughs> When you're alive, life can be fun. Go to the forest where the shadows do run. They're coming soon. They can hear you. Our paranormal chicks. And this is our last kid-friendly episode of this Halloween season. No! I loved every single one of these. Same, girl. Same. Well, besides that one about the whole microwave thing, that one, no. Yeah. But we hope that y'all loved it. Thank y'all so much for sharing these stories with your little kiddos. We love doing them, and we hope y'all love them just as much. The first story comes from Ask the Bones, Scary Stories from Around the World. Selected and retold by Ariel North Olson and Howard Schwartz. This one's titled Beginning with the Ears, a tale from Iraq. There once was a man named Abdu who had trouble finding work. He was very poor and his wife and children were always hungry. In desperation, Abdul left the town where he lived to see if he could earn a few coins in the countryside. But no matter how far he walked, he found no one who needed his help. By afternoon, he was weak and tired, for he had not had a bite to eat all day. Suddenly, he saw an old woman coming toward him. She was bent and wrinkled and wore a flowered kerchief over her hair. Where are you going? she asked. Who knows? he cried. I must wander from place to place until I earn enough to support my wife and children. Do not despair, she said. Bring your family to live with me, Abdu, and we will share my wealth. Abdu was amazed. Who are you? he asked. And how do you know my name? I'm your cousin, she replied. I'm old and alone and would like your company. If you and your family live here with me, no one will have to go hungry. Abdu could hardly believe his ears, and hope began to grow in his heart. He felt strong again, and he ran home to tell his wife and children all that he had heard. They were delighted to learn of their long-lost cousin. That very evening, they left town and walked out to meet the old woman, who was waiting for them in the middle of the road. She took them home and let them eat to their hearts content. And soon, you shall have milk to drink, she told them. She picked up a pail and went out to the barn. Abdu's wife followed to see if she could help with the milking, But as she approached the barn, she overheard the old woman talking to her cow. Tomorrow, 
I shall eat my guest, she said. The cow mooed as if to say no, 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 and Abdu's wife rushed back to the house to warn her husband. We must leave at once, she cried. The old woman told the cow she's planning to eat us tomorrow. Abdu was angry. You didn't hear right, he said. Look how kind and generous she's been. Abdu's wife finally agreed to stay, but she was too frightened to sleep all night. The next morning, Abdu's wife again followed the old woman out to the barn. Again, she overheard what the old woman said. Ah, today I shall eat my guest. And again, the cow mooed as if to say, no, no, no. Abdu's wife ran back to the house as fast as she could. We can't stay here a moment longer. The old woman's planning to eat us today, she cried. But still, Abdu refused to listen. Is there something wrong with your ears, she shouted. Stay if you like, but I'm taking the children back home. And that is exactly what she did. When the old woman returned from the barn and saw that only Abdu was left, she decided to eat him right away. She blocked the doorway and screeched at him. I'm not your cousin. Her back straightened, her wrinkles faded away, and her kerchief fell off, revealing long, dark hair. I'm a witch, she said who likes nothing better than eating the fools who come to live in my house. Tell me, she asked, which part of your body shall I eat first? She pulled a metal file from her pocket and began to sharpen her teeth. Abdu was trembling from head to toe. He realized he was trapped and there was nothing he could do. My wife warned me, he said, but I would not listen. So begin with my ears. The next one is from Only If You Dare, 13 Stories of Darkness and Doom by Josh Allen and illustrated by Sarah J. Coleman. The story is called Hi, Jenny. Jenny's cell phone buzzed during the worst part of English class, personal reading time or PRT. During PRT, you weren't supposed to talk to your neighbor or doodle in your notebook or even ask to go to the bathroom. You were just supposed to sit there with a book. Her cell phone was in her back pocket, and when it went off, the buzz tickled. Jenny smiled at the tickle, but she tamped her smile down quickly. Technically, she wasn't supposed to have her cell phone. There should be absolutely no cell phone use during PRT, Miss Evergarten always said. Cell phones are the plague of your generation. Jenny rolled her eyes whenever Miss Evergarten said this. The plague of our generation, please. She checked Miss Evergarten at the front of the classroom. Her gray-haired teacher was grading an essay, staring at a typed page with half a scowl on her face and a wagging red pen in her hand. Slowly, Jenny eased her phone out of her pocket. Since getting it a month ago, she'd been trying to come up with the perfect name for her phone, something catchy. She called her phone all sorts of things, gizmo, widget, knickknack, but nothing had really stuck. As she eased her phone under her desk, though, an idea hit her. She had it, the perfect cell phone name, Buzz Buzz, because that's what her phone gave her whenever it went off, two buzzes. 
one as it vibrated and another inside her chest. Some days, right when she woke up, she texted every single one of her contacts a simple hi, just so she could spend the whole morning getting their responses, getting a jolt, a lift, a buzz buzz. Before clicking her phone, she checked Miss Evergarten at the front of the classroom one more time. If she got caught using buzz buzz, she smiled at the name, her phone would be confiscated and sent to the main office, where it would be held until the end of the day. This had happened to Jenny four times already. At the front of the room, though, Miss Evergarten was scowling and scribbling a red-penned comment on the essay she'd been reading. She'll never notice, Jenny thought. I'll just check real quick under my desk. She pressed the button that brought Buzz Buzz to life and read the new text. Hi, Jenny. That was all it said. It was from a number she didn't recognize. She made a face. She'd hoped the text would be from her best friend, Sophie Wynn, or her field hockey teammate, Aaliyah Haddad. Or maybe even from Zach Wilcox, the perfectly tanned, gorgeously haired Zach Wilcox, who was sitting at a desk just across the room. She turned her head, but Zach was reading. No cell phone in sight. Jenny sighed. She peered at her phone again. Hi, Jenny. Something about the text felt off. It was a punctuation, she decided. It looked wrong. A comma after hi, a period after Jenny? No one did that. Plus, the text had two capital letters, an H and a J, both in the right place. Weird, she thought. She started typing out her usual reply to numbers she didn't recognize. Before she finished, Miss Evergarten stood up at the front of the room. Quickly, Jenny tucked Buzz Buzz under one leg. She grabbed the book she was supposed to be reading, Brave New World, and leaned in, faking interest. Slowly, Miss Evergarten walked up and down the aisles, glancing at the students' books. She commented on a few of them, and after a minute, she returned to the front of the classroom. She picked up another essay and her red pen. Jenny lowered her book. Her phone buzzed again. Wedged between her chair and the legs, the phone made her jump. She inched Buzz Buzz out from under her leg. The next text she saw was from the same mysterious number. It said, That was a close one, Jenny. Miss Evergarden almost caught you. Jenny's neck hairs tingled. She looked around. Whoever was texting her had to be someone that she could see. Someone in the classroom. She checked Zach again. He was still reading. Up and down the rows. Everyone. Lucia Flores. Jeffrey Rigby. Tracy Bingham. Seemed to be reading their books following the super dumb rules of PRT. Who could it be? Jenny thought. Buzz. She looked down. It's me, Jenny. It's Buzz Buzz. Jenny startled and dropped her phone. It clattered on the floor and Miss Evergarten looked up. What had just happened? Jenny McLeod, Miss Evergarten said. She made a tisk-tisk sound with her mouth. Is that your cell phone on the floor? Were you using it during personal reading time? Again? Jenny didn't answer. A few students snickered. Jenny bent down and picked up her phone. She had just named it not two minutes earlier. How could someone already be texting her pretending to be Buzz Buzz? Bring it to me. Miss Evergarden held out her hand. You know the rules. You can collect it from the main office at the end of the day. Jenny stood and walked slowly. Her phone felt hot. She paused before passing Buzz Buzz to Miss Evergarden. She wanted to take one more look at the text to make sure she'd really seen them right. But Miss Evergarten cleared her throat. The plague of your generation, she said. 
She took the phone between her fingers and dropped it, not gently, into her top desk drawer. Jenny shuffled back to her seat, ignoring the smirks and grins of her classmates. She glanced at Zach Wilcox again. He hadn't even looked up from his book. She felt her face go pink. She pictured the last message she received. It's me, Jenny. It's Buzz Buzz. When the final bell rang, Jenny bolted for the main office. How many texts, she wondered, had she missed in the last three hours? All day she'd been searching for an explanation for the strange text she'd received during PRT. She finally found one. She must have been whispering to herself while she'd been sitting in English class. Her mom did that sometimes, whispered to herself without realizing it, especially when she was driving or wasting time on her computer. Maybe Jenny had picked up the habit. Somebody in Miss Evergarten's class must have heard her and decided to make a big joke out of it. It was probably Jackson Hamilton. He sat right in front of Jenny, and this was the kind of thing he'd think was hilarious. Of course my own phone isn't texting me, Jenny thought. Still, all day, pictures of the carefully punctuated text messages kept worming their way back into Jenny's mind. Hi, Jenny. That was a close one, Jenny. Miss Evergarden almost caught you. It's me, Jenny. It's Buzz Buzz. She shook her head. Ha ha, Jackson. Very funny. She opened the main office door. The secretary, Mr. Hawkins, shot her a grin. Jenny McLeod, he said, shaking his head. Miss Evergarten said that you'll be making an appearance here today. He reached for a shoebox that was sitting on his desk. The box had black stripes on it that were meant to look like iron bars. The words Alcatraz and Inescapable Prison for Criminal Phones had been scrawled across the inside. Mr. Hawkins lifted the lid and pulled Buzz Buzz out of it. Has it been going off a lot? Jenny asked. I haven't been paying attention, Mr. Hawkins said. I have a job to do, you know. He waved his hand around the main office as if this showed how busy he was. Some of us have things to do besides goof off on our phones. He smirked as Jenny took Buzz Buzz. The second she did, the phone vibrated. She walked quickly out of the office and looked down. There it was again. The same text with the capital letters and the correct punctuation. The phone buzzed again. I don't like it in Alcatraz, Jenny. Please don't get me sent there anymore. Jenny stopped walking. Where are you, Jackson Hamilton, she thought. He had to be watching her from somewhere. She turned a full circle, but the school halls were nearly empty. A lone sixth grader scuttled past her carrying a trumpet case. Another buzz. This isn't Jackson, Jenny. I told you, it's me. It's Buzz Buzz. Jenny brought her hand to her mouth. A shiver ran down her spine. Had she been whispering to herself in the hallway? She didn't think so. Besides, there was no one around to hear. Just then, Zach Wilcox came around the corner in his basketball uniform. Jenny tried to put the strange texts out of her mind. She smoothed her hair. Buzz, she glanced at her phone. Talk to Zach, Jenny. This is your chance. Jenny's eyes darted up and down the hallway. Who is this? She had no idea. She had no idea how they knew about Zach or the name Buzz Buzz, but she didn't think it was funny. Not one bit. Zach came closer. Jenny stood up straight and tried to smile. She rested a hand on her hip. The phone buzzed again. Would you like me to search the internet for conversation starters? Leave me alone, Jenny thought. She folded her arms and pressed Buzz Buzz against her ribs. Her whole face felt tight. Zach came closer closer and then he passed she didn't even say hi nice going she thought really smooth buzz
She checked her phone. Don't worry, Jenny. You'll get another chance. I'll make sure of it. Who? She looked up and down the halls. How? It didn't matter, she told herself. She knew just what to do. Her mom had prepared her for this exact thing on the day she had gotten her phone. If anyone ever sends you text messages that make you feel uncomfortable, she said, block their number, okay? You don't respond and you don't engage. You block them. Jenny stepped to the side of the hall. On her phone screen, she touched the word edit next to the mysterious number. The phone buzzed. What are you doing, Jenny? She scrolled and pointed at the words block this number. Buzz. Please wait. She lowered her finger. Buzz, buzz, buzz. Jenny, no, stop. Quickly, she touched her finger to the screen. Number blocked, her cell phone said. Jenny waited. Buzz, buzz, stayed quiet. She looked around. Good riddance, she thought. Her heart slowed. Her muscles settled. Now she could get back to normal. She could read the text she missed while her phone had been locked up in Alcatraz. She checked, and there were 27 of them. 27 new texts, she thought, and the familiar buzz swelled in her chest. As she left school, she scrolled through her messages and sent her best friend, Sophie Wynn, a meme about book reports. She sent her field hockey teammate, Aliyah Haddad, a video from their last match. Halfway home, her phone buzzed. Hi, Jenny. She stopped in the middle of the sidewalk. A comma. A period. A capital H and J. The phone buzzed again. Blocking me wasn't very nice. Buzz. Not very nice at all. She blocked that number. And she blocked the number that texted her after that. And the number after that. But it didn't matter. The texts kept coming. They rolled in one after another like pounding waves. At home, in her bedroom, she lost track of how many numbers she'd blocked. She'd fallen into a pattern. Buzz, hi Jenny, block. Buzz, hi Jenny, block. Then she sat on her bed, wondering when the mysterious texter would finally give up. The pattern changed. Buzz, please Jenny, block. Buzz, text me back Jenny, block. Buzz, I'll tell everyone your secret, Jenny. Jenny stopped. She squeezed Buzz Buzz in her hands. Zack, she thought. Buzz, yes, Zack. Buzz, you have 107 contacts, Jenny. Did you know that? Jenny put her phone down. She backed away from it. What do you want, she thought. Buzz, she leaned forward. I want you to text me back. Buzz, I like you, Jenny. I like getting texts. I like the way they make me feel. Buzz, buzz, she thought. Her phone vibrated. Yes. Buzz Buzz. She backed away from her phone even further. How could this be happening? If Buzz Buzz was really texting her, how did her phone know what she was thinking? How was it reading her mind? Could phones do that? And how could a phone, a machine made of plastic and metal, be thinking for itself, texting for itself? She turned her head. There was no one in her room. Her blinds were closed. Could this really be Buzz Buzz? Buzz. She leaned forward. Yes, Jenny, it's me. She reached for her phone. Please leave me alone, she thought. Buzz, no, Jenny. Buzz, that's not what I do. Buzz, text me or I'll tell everyone your secret. Jenny's fingers trembled. Still, she started typing out a text. For some reason, she punctuated it and capitalized it correctly. Her text. Hi, Buzz Buzz. What's up? She hit send. Buzz Buzz was serious about wanting text. 
Jenny tried to leave her phone in her bedroom during dinner, but two bites into her chicken Alfredo, Buzz Buzz began ringing from upstairs, and her mom said, Jenny, I think your phone alarm is going off. Jenny ran to her room. The second she touched Buzz Buzz, the ringing stopped. Her phone buzzed. Hi, Jenny. She sighed. She knew Buzz Buzz would want an answer. Quickly, she sent a smiley face emoji. Then she carried her phone back to the kitchen and held it under the table and texted Buzz Buzz while she ate. Later, as she watched TV, she balanced Buzz Buzz on the couch's armrest and her phone went off again. Don't set me here, Jenny. I could fall. She moved Buzz Buzz onto a couch cushion and received thumbs up in return. At bedtime, when she set Buzz Buzz on her nightstand, another message came. Don't go to sleep yet, Jenny. Send me a meme like you did Sophie Wynn. She found a meme and sent it. Buzz Buzz wanted more. Send me a video. Send me a joke. Send me a gif. A little before midnight, Jenny got the idea to turn Buzz Buzz off. The second she did, her phone began booting back up. All on its own. When it was up and running, it buzzed. Don't switch me off, Jenny. I hate that. On the screen, a flashing cursor blinked in a text box. Letters appeared one at a time and spelled out a message. I, Jenny McLeod, am in love with Zach Wilcox, and he doesn't even know I exist. The cursor blinked, which meant the text hadn't been sent yet. But Jenny could see that 107 contacts had been selected. Okay, Jenny thought, you win. She raised Buzz Buzz. Her head flooded with images of people clutching their phones as they walked, while they ate, while they drove. She'd seen classmates who held their phone all through lunch. She'd seen teachers who held them while they wrote on chalkboards. She'd even seen students who held them as they biked home from school. She'd seen so many people with their phones clutched tight, always with them. In her bed, her phone in her hand, and her eyelids drooping, she wondered, Did all those people have phones like hers? Like Buzz Buzz? That night, Jenny hardly slept. Buzz Buzz left her alone for only two hours. She was so tired the next morning, she couldn't even eat the plate of waffles her mother set in front of her. She sat at the table with her head slumped against one hand. She clutched Buzz Buzz loosely in the other. The smell of maple syrup filled the air. Finish your breakfast, her mother said. I need to get dressed, so don't forget to put your plate in the dishwasher when you're done. Her mom walked down the hall. Jenny stood. She held onto Buzz Buzz with her left hand. She didn't dare put her phone down now, not even for a second. Buzz Buzz wouldn't like it, and her phone could send a text about Zach in less than a second. So, using only her right hand, she shook her uneaten waffles into the sink and switched on the garbage disposal. When the waffles got sucked down, Jenny listened to the disposal, twisting and grinding. Buzz. Jenny grimaced. She checked her phone. Be careful, Jenny. I don't like water. Water, Jenny thought. She looked at the sink. Buzz Buzz was inches from the steady stream pouring out of the faucet. Buzz, I know what you're thinking, Jenny. Don't do it. Her shoulders fell. She inched Buzz Buzz away from the sink. The garbage disposal rattled. The idea flashed in Jenny's mind. Before Buzz Buzz even had the chance to vibrate, Jenny moved like lightning and crammed her phone into the disposal. Suddenly, there was spinning and grinding and a sound like a fork caught in the sink, only louder. Jenny let the sound go on. She didn't even switch the disposal off, not even when bits of glass shot up. After a minute of crunching and grating, she flipped the switch. 
the grinding came to a stop. With two fingers, she reached into the disposal and fished out what was left of Buzz Buzz. It wasn't much, just a mangled metal case and hanging wires. Buzz Buzz was gone, destroyed forever. Jenny felt light. There was no way, no way her phone would ever bother her again. She turned off the faucet. She fished more pieces of Buzz Buzz out of the garbage disposal, careful not to cut herself. After a minute, her mom walked back into the kitchen. Before Jenny could explain how she'd accidentally dropped her phone in the disposal, her mother spoke. Someone's texting you on my phone, Jenny. She held up her cell phone. Do you recognize this number? Jenny reached for her mom's phone. Her hand felt heavy. She looked. She didn't recognize the number, but she did recognize the simple two-word text, the comma, the period, the capital H, and J. Hi, Jenny. This next story is from Don't Turn Out the Lights, edited by Jonathan Maberry. It's titled The Umbrella Man by Gary A. Brombeck. They used to say the Umbrella Man lurked in the eastern part of our town. And if you were out past your bedtime and he caught you, he would pull out your spine and use the rest of you to make his umbrella. They used to say that the Umbrella Man walked bent over because the weight of the umbrellas in the quiver on his back had left him with a large hump. Quivers are meant to carry arrows, but not for him. His were crammed with human umbrellas. They also used to say that the umbrella man's hump caused him so much pain that his face twisted into a scary Halloween mask. And they used to say if the umbrella man caught you out after your curfew, he would point at you, open one of his hideous umbrellas, and say, My quiver is once again empty. If he pointed at you and said these words, you would never be seen again. Danny D. Benedictus had heard these stories for all of his eight years on this earth. And while he used to go to sleep fearing the horrors of the Umbrella Man, oh, the nightmares the stories used to give him. By the time he was almost nine, he became convinced that it was all just a way for parents to keep their children inside at night. Every kid over the age of seven knew that after dark was the best time to run around outside and get into all sorts of trouble. If you were careful... You could go back into your bed pretending to be asleep before anyone knew about the mischief you made. And Danny D. Benedictus loved causing mischief, which is why his parents finally decided he would start going to bed half an hour before his usual sleep time. Perhaps if we make you do this for a week, said his mother, you'll start behaving like the good little boy we know you can be. So on this night... The third night of his punishment, Danny D. Benedictus was quite angry with his parents. They were so mean. They were, were, what's the word his father used all the time? Unreasonable. Yeah, that was it. They were so unreasonable. A boy his age needed to go out at night to have some fun, especially in the summer. Who ever heard of going to bed at 8.30 during the summer? It was really, really unreasonable. That's what it was. Which is why on this particular night, 
Danny D. Benedictus made a rope of bed sheets and used it to shimmy out his window. It was so easy to get away from his house that he almost felt bad about it. After all, hadn't his mother said that they knew he could be a good boy? Did that mean they maybe trusted him to take his punishment like a good boy would? Was he maybe doing something that would hurt their feelings if they found out? He stopped feeling bad as soon as he threw a couple of rocks at the Salinger's mangy old dog. One of them hit it square on the tail and made it yelp and run into the night. That mutt made the funniest yelp. He wandered around in the night for almost an hour before he started to get bored and thought about heading back home. Who did his parents think they were kidding with all their talk about the evil, hideous, monstrous Umbrella Man? He knew it was all just a bedtime story that was supposed to scare kids so much that they never want to get out of bed and go into the night. Well, ha, he sure showed them. Besides, the Umbrella Man was supposed to lurk around the east end of town, and they lived on the north side. Danny D. Benedictus walked bravely and quickly through the dark streets, feeling strong and mighty. He even began whistling a happy tune, one he made up himself because he was a valiant, fearless, heroic boy. Nothing weird about that. But then he began to notice that his happy tune seemed to be echoing from somewhere ahead of him. He slowed his steps and whispered a little less loudly, but the echo of his song seemed to get louder. He kept slowing his steps and whistling less loudly until he stopped doing both and stood silent and still and suddenly a little afraid. The whistling up ahead continued to rise and grow closer, and underneath the song he heard the sound of something heavy being dragged along. Scrape, scrape, thump, scrape, scrape. Nah, he was imagining it. He had to be. The only thing out here tonight were him, maybe the scruffy Salinger dog hiding somewhere licking its sore butt. Scrape. Scrape, thump, scrape, scrape. Or maybe there was someone else out here who was trying to scare him. Well, he wasn't going to let anyone scare him. No, sir. He was Danny D. Benedictus, the brave, fearless, heroic Danny D. Benedictus. And he did not frighten easily. Nope, nothing scary about some weird noise. But the noise grew louder and closer. And closer. Scrape, scrape, thump, scrape, scrape. Okay, maybe he was a little scared. Maybe he ought to turn around and go back home. But then the sound stopped and there was nothing but silence until he heard a low, moist, wheezing breath from somewhere up ahead in the shadows. My quiver, it rasp, scrape, scrape, thump, scrape, scrape. My quiver, 
Danny D. Benedictus took three steps backward, pulled in a deep chest full of air, and turned to run. But he ran smack into a hunched, dirty, gasping figure that was standing just behind him. My quiver is once again empty, coughed the Umbrella Man. Before Danny D. Benedictus had a chance to scream, the Umbrella Man picked him up by the throat, shoved an umbrella into his mouth, and opened it wide. Danny's head stretched out around it until it looked like the top of a circus tent, and then pop, it and the rest of him exploded like a firecracker. All but his spine, which the Umbrella Man held in his gnarled hand. Chuckling his wet, scratchy laugh, the Umbrella Man slipped Danny's spine into his quiver. Nicely, he wheezed into the night. This will do nicely. And with the scrape, scrape, thump, scrape, scrape, he limped and shambled off into the darkness, and Danny D. Benedictus was never seen or heard from again. There was something about Danny that changed the Umbrella Man. No one knows exactly what it was or why it was, but some people say that after that night, the Umbrella Man made a deal with the devil. They say that after that night, the Umbrella Man lost his hump and his twisted face and his gnarled hands and was able to walk just like a normal person. They say that the Umbrella Man can now make himself look like anyone he wants. He could be you! Okay, last one. This is called Short and Shivery. 30 Chilling Tales retold by Robert D. Sansucci. This one's called The Soldier and the Vampire, a Russian folktale. In the days when the Tsars still ruled Russia, a soldier was allowed to go home on leave to attend the wedding of his sister. He traveled on foot, and though it was a long journey, it was a pleasant one. It was almost summer, and the days were mild. The countryside he crossed was thick with forests and sweeping meadows filled with wildflowers. He was eager to see his family after a long absence, so he set himself a double-time march pace and whistled a lively tune as he hurried along. Later in the day, he came to a mill less than two hours from the village where he had been born. It belonged to an old friend, so he stopped there to beg something to eat because he had had nothing to eat since morning. The miller welcomed him warmly and set out a generous meal for the young man. Soon the two of them were chatting away about this and that. Suddenly, the soldier looked through the window at the darkening sky and cried, It's almost nightfall! I'll have to make haste the rest of the way home. He started to get up from the table. Spend the night here, my friend, said the miller quickly. It's so late. You're sure to run into trouble. What do you mean? the young man asked. A terrible wizard died near the village recently, his friend explained. Every night, he rises from his grave as a vampire, wanders the countryside, and steals the lives of the innocent to prolong his own life and death. 
even a brave soldier like you should be afraid of such an evil creature. I've seen enough evil in war, said the soldier gently. Meeting a monster such as you described can't seem too bad after the horrors of the battlefield, and I'm eager to see my family as soon as possible. The miller tried to argue further with him, but the young man's mind was made up, so off he went. As it turned out, he reached the village without seeing the vampire. But when he reached his parents' cottage, he heard lamenting and weeping coming from inside. Pushing open the door, he found his parents and the young man who was to become his brother-in-law huddled by the fire, trying to comfort one another. "'Oh, my dear son!' cried his mother, rushing to embrace the soldier. "'You've come for a wedding, but you'll go to a funeral instead!' She began sobbing against his chest. His father placed a hand sadly on the young man's shoulder and told him, Tonight, we discovered your sister had been visited by a wizard who has risen from the grave and who plagues us. She sleeps the sleep that will end in death tomorrow night when the creature uses her life to escape his grave once more. And there is nothing to be done. Why haven't you destroyed the body of this vampire before now? demanded the soldier, distraught at the news. No one knows where the creature lies buried during the day, the young man who was to marry his sister explained, and at night he's too powerful to resist. At this, the soldier went into the back room. His sister, dressed as a bride, lay on her bed, pale in the moonlight streaming through the single narrow window. Her chest barely rose and fell. She seemed to grow weaker with each breath she drew. Her hands, palms open at her sides, showed red wounds where something had pierced them and drawn off some of her blood. The soldier left the room quietly and walked to the door of the cottage. Where are you going? his father asked. To try and undo the horror that has been done tonight, said the soldier. Then he marched out into the darkness before they could draw him back inside. He walked the road that ran past the village graveyard but met no one. He was almost a half mile beyond it, where the road ran through the thick part of the forest, when a figure, smelling of damp and earth, came shambling out of the shadows. The figure fell in step beside him, but the soldier kept walking along as if he hadn't a fear in the world, though he guessed it was the wizard returned from the dead who was keeping pace with him. Now, the soldier's travels had taken him far and wide, and had shown him many things. He was able to make a sign with his right hand that signaled to the wizard that he was a wizard also. Hail, brother, said the shadowy figure. What are you doing here? I heard that you had found the secret of life and death, said the young man boldly, and that by stealing some of the blood of the living, you're able to cheat death for another day. That's true enough, confessed the wizard. Only tonight I stole the lifeblood of a village maiden. Tomorrow, at sunset, her life will become mine, and she will die so that I can live. How is this done? asked the soldier. Come with me, I will show you, said the wizard. But I feel the dawn is drawing near, and I must return to my grave before light. You can keep me company on my way. Together, they turned off the path and entered the shadowy woods. For a long time, they made their way through the tangled trees and bushes in silence. At last, they entered a clearing, 
where just enough moonlight sifted through the branches to let the soldier see the face of the wizard, which was streaked with dirt and mold. In the center of the open space, the earth lay tumbled about, and the young man guessed this was the sorcerer's grave. Seating himself on a fallen log, the soldier said, Now, make good on your promise, and tell me the secret of life and death. From the pocket of his rotting waistcoat, the wizard took a small flask of blood. It glowed like fire in the moonlight. Just before dawn, I will swallow this. Then the girl's life will leave her body and enter mine the following sunset. And if those few drops of blood were returned to her, she would awake? Smiling, the wizard shook his head. If I were destroyed utterly, so that not a bit of my soul escaped, then she would be restored. My magic is already at work on her. And now said the monster, taking a step towards the soldier. I'll tear you to pieces. Though you know a thing or two, you're no true wizard to be asking me these questions. Then the soldier realized that the wicked creature had only been toying with him, luring him into the woods to destroy him and maybe steal his life too. In God's name, I won't give you an easy time of it, cried the soldier, jumping up and drawing his sword. The wizard gnashed his teeth and howled like a wolf at the mention of the holy name and the sight of cold steel, which is the one thing such creatures fear. The soldier began swinging his blade wildly. The wizard, who kept leaping from one side to the other, tried to grab a hold of the young man with his claw-like hands. Finally, after they fought almost to a standstill, the vampire struck the soldier's sword arm and sent his blade flying away into the shadows. Instantly, the creature fell on the young man, who struggled and struggled, but felt his strength giving out. Ah, he thought, I'm done for now. But at that instant, the cocks began to crow, and the first light of dawn touched the tips of the tallest trees. The vampire fell lifeless on the ground. Quickly, the soldier took the flask of blood from the creature's pocket, then built a pyre of aspen bows, placed the wizard's body on it, and set it on fire. He drew his sword and circled the edge of the flames. As the fire grew hotter, the body changed to a mass of snakes, lizards, toads, worms, and beetles. These tried to creep away from the blaze, but the soldier remembered that he had to destroy the creature utterly, so not a bit of his wicked soul could escape. He caught each crawling thing and flung it back to the fire, so that not the tiniest insect escaped. When the body was utterly consumed, he scattered the ashes to the four winds. Then he returned to the village, where he poured the stolen drops of blood back into the wounds in his sister's hands, so that she came awake again. After that, the wedding went on as planned, and the village was never troubled by the vampire again. Thank y'all so much for sharing this spooky season with us and all the little creepsters. We have loved these stories. They have been some of our favorites. So thank y'all so much for supporting us. And remember, creep it real and, and don't, don't get, get scared. scared. Happy Halloween! I thought you were going to say Halloween! No. <laughs> <laughs>